Today's episode is proudly sponsored by the team at Project Health Monitoring. PHM provides digital solution for industry, sport and education, allowing you to focus on well-being, performance and academic engagement in real time. But more on that a little later in the episode. And welcome to Challenges That Change Us, the podcast where we talk to our guests about how their challenges have impacted them today and how they overcame them. Whether you are someone that feels like you are thriving right now, trudging through the mud or somewhere in between, this podcast is designed to give you practical advice, profound insight into your own experience and inspire you to embrace your life. My name is Ali Flynn, the co-founder and CEO of Tri Altitude Performance, and I will be your host. It's time to buckle up your seatbelts and let's get this ball rolling. Hi, everyone. Welcome back for another week. For those of you in Australia, I hope that you're getting your winter woolies ready because it is getting cold. (laughs) This week, I have a very special guest, Peter Holtman. Peter is described by his peers as exceptionally professional and approachable. A remarkably gifted and visionary leader, passionate for what he does and has a real interest in cultural diversity and a strong ability to inspire. After meeting Peter for an hour, I think that sums him up beautifully. Formerly a CEO of a global not-for-profit, Peter now runs Holtman Professional Services, a coaching-based consulting firm specialising in risk and crisis. He regularly presents online and in person across a range of businesses and leadership topics. Today, we chat about Peter's career change, but probably not in a way that you might think. We open up the conversation about those moments that he realised he needed to make a change and the story he told himself inside his head. Peter talks about his fears in that moment, the challenges he faced and how he navigated his way through them. Who am I if I'm not a CEO of a global company? What will people think of me? What does it mean if I'm saying I can't do this anymore? This conversation is so powerful and I have no doubt that it will be relevant to so many of you listening. Every one of us will be in a position one day that we question, am I where I'm meant to be? And if not, what on earth am I going to do about it? I know that you will all take something away from this next hour. Welcome, Peter, to Challenges That Change Us. Thank you for coming on this afternoon. Absolutely. Hello, Ali. Thanks for having me. Peter, I love to start. The audience are very familiar with this question. I love to start every podcast with asking what animal best describes you and what is it about that animal? Sure. Well, I would describe myself as a bulldog. Uh, I think uh, as I'm getting older now, I'm starting to look more like it with a saggy face. So <laughs> that, that, would, that would be the number one thing. I've actually got a bulldog. He and I look very much the same uh, these days. <laughs> People find them a little bit intimidating, a little bit standoffish, but on first contact, they find they're really engaging. They're, they're a warm animal. They've got heaps of personality. They're family-oriented and they're, and they're very loyal as well. So I think that really sums me up in a in a T. And there's lots of different types of bulldogs. So yep. is there a certain type that you resonate the most with? Well, I do have an Aussie bulldog, so they're they're probably not as 
round and chunky as a British bulldog, but they're not too far off. So I'd say definitely the Aussie bulldog. We have a little Frenchy, um, a little French bulldog at home. So that's why I was asking. Uh, we looked at the Aussies; they're beautiful. Yeah, they are. Yeah, they're great. Yeah, is yours really stocky? He's he's quite stocky. They've got a lot longer legs, and the and the snout is just a little bit longer than a regular bulldog. But um, every other attribute is the same as a as a. British Bulldog, that's for sure. So we're just doing an advertisement here, everyone, for Bulldogs in Australia. Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and so, Peter, let's get to know you a little bit. Are you able to okay. tell us a little bit about you, where you've come from? Yeah, absolutely. So I started with a science background out of uh, Western Sydney Uni, very much like Beaker out of the Muppets. That would be the best way of describing <laughs> me. And I worked my way through the the, the chemical, chemistry and scientific fields for a while before landing in, I guess, like a quality role for a food company actually. And so I was involved in doing things like making Diet Coke flavour and uh, CC chip flavours and those sorts of things. And that one thing led to another. That company needed a quality system put in place and I was given the short straw and I, I did that and then quality largely became a big part of my career moving forward and became an auditor, uh, became a TAFE lecturer and in in food science, food safety and quality, did a little bit of TV work and then ended up eventually in a role in an association that was credentialing people. So what that really meant is it's like giving you a driver's licence to do your job and it was a global non-profit and I had the good fortune of being the CEO of that for about, 11 years and had a very long career and very prosperous career in that. Worked at the United Nations, worked at Standards in uh, in Geneva in Switzerland and uh, had lots of uh, government, non-government roles associated with it. So quite a, quite a busy, high-profile career mm. before jumping out of that into doing my own work now. So... Yeah, it's a big change. Yes, and we're going to have a chat about that exact thing, but not yet because there's a couple That's of good. things that I want to ask you about in there. You just like fluffed over it and I was like, and what about, Probably. and what about, <laughs> <laughs> did you say you used to make Diet Coke flavours? Yeah, so you think everything comes from Coca-Cola in America and it really doesn't. Coke tastes different depending on what region you're in and what country and what the requirements really? are. Oh, yeah. And so what happens is they go to what's called flavour houses in different parts of the world and say, just tinker with the flavour a little bit to make it more sweet or more vanilla-y or less something for, for our local market. And uh, and so I was involved with those sorts of things along the way. And, hey, we, we need a new flavour of CC chip flavour. Um, do you want to get involved in that? Or, hey, we're trying to come up with the 1500th variety of salt and vinegar chip flavour. Do you want to get involved in that sort of stuff? So, And is that how you tie that science background into it? Yeah, I think it was at the end of the day. Like I said, uh, my background in science was in chemistry. So chemistry has a very diverse field and, and, and a diverse scope of what you can do. I've worked anything from pharmaceutical all the way up to these food companies. So uh, the last landing point was in the food industry. So moved around a lot in different chemical fields and different different industries, finding my feet and finding my passion and then uh, moved on from there. 
And you mentioned TV work very briefly. Yes, uh, tell I did. us a little bit about that. Oh dear. I, <laughs> Have I, we got I, an actor on on screen <laughs> at the moment? Yeah, a terrible one, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Not a good one at all, no. No, it wasn't anything like that. I, I did some work for a current affair in today tonight. Sometimes I was in front in front of camera, sometimes I was researching behind the scenes for them so that other people would do the articles. So how did that tie in to your career? It's really, I guess I can, I can talk and I can talk about most things under like a ton of wet cement. So uh, people found it quite engaging and so they would listen to a lot of the stories that I would tell and it just seemed to work for TV and I guess in, a, in another sense it worked a little bit for radio before and it worked very well for lecturing and, and teaching and those sorts of stuff because, you know, the, the best way you learn is through stories, not through mm. theoretical content. So I don't know. I just I, I got to the point where I, I would never say no to an opportunity. I'd just do it and see how it turned out. Yeah, it's a great way to I guess build your career and even to live life. Sometimes is yeah. not always to say no. I mean, there's times and places to say no. But I know when I was young and I was traveling, that was one of my mottos: is try and say yes to as many things as you can. Yeah, absolutely. And I do a lot of global work. I've left uh, Australia for work over the years over 300 times uh, for for different things. And uh, I've worked on every continent and I've worked in so many countries. And, and much like that, try and say yes to as many things within reason. Don't get yourself into trouble out there. I was going to say, until we get older, when we start saying no to a lot more, and then we learn the art of saying no and how to conserve our energy, yeah. conserve our time and bring it in. Absolutely. So, uh, Kentucky tours with toga parties in the middle of Paris might be all right for like a 21-year-old, but it doesn't work so well when you get over the 30, 40 and then over the 50 mark. You look a bit sus at that point. (laughs) And so thinking about along the lines of stories then, before we go into your challenge, is there a story that jumps out to you through that experience before you went into self-employment? Oh, wow. I guess in a lot of what I did, I would be going into a lot of developing countries to help set up systems and that. And that could mean I could be getting myself into really quite hairy, scary situations. And the best one, I always tell people because they they never believe it's actually true, but I was in an island in the Philippines called Mindanao. And in those years, that was an Al-Qaeda terrorist training island. And uh, you sort of fly in and you're greeted by your bags being literally tipped out of the back of the plane onto the runway and there's guards standing around with machetes and machine guns beating people off your bags so that uh, you didn't lose your bag. You grab your bag and you run through the terminal. There's no customs or anything. You don't have to worry about that stuff. And uh, eventually I found my driver in a, in a van and all the windows were blacked out apart from a little slit in the front windscreen, just a tiny little slit. And I thought, this seems a bit weird uh, because we had quite a long journey to go from the airport inland uh, to a really quite remote location. And his advice to me was, we're going to go through some checkpoints. We're not going to stop. When I tell you, you're going to lay on the floor of the van because we're going to be driving really fast and they're probably going to shoot at us. And uh, that was, I thought, what have I got myself into here? And luckily we didn't get shot at, but there were times when he said, okay, we're coming up to a checkpoint now, be ready. And that's why all the windows are blacked out. So they couldn't see who was in the van. So you didn't get kidnapped or shot at or what have you. It was a bit like the arrival at the, at the site was a bit like 
an Indiana Jones set. We went literally in and over the top of a volcano crater and right in the middle of the volcano crater was a giant pineapple farm run by an American company which had a golf course in there. It had a golf club but and all these Americanisms that were in the middle of this volcano crater surrounded by pineapples, but the villagers were still living in very rustic huts around the factory and all that sort of stuff. And, you know, sometimes you really do wonder what did I get myself into by agreeing to do this work. Yeah, and what work was it that took you there? I was actually doing an inspection on the factory for the American parent company at the time. So they were obviously selling pineapple all over the world in cans and they wanted to make sure that the pineapple was up to a certain quality and safety level and they would send poor bunnies like me in uh, to go all over the world to go and check all these all these things out. It's interesting as I'm listening to you, uh, you've said the words quality and safety a few times and I must admit before we had this conversation, I didn't realise a job could be so exciting and take you so many places, you know. When I think about quality and safety, I think about check sheets and, you know, quite dry. Yeah, no, there's there's definitely the, the, the adventure is in getting to the place. Once you're there, you know, I guess there's a process you've got to follow but there's a lot to do before and after the role. So, like, at the end of every day, I would be escorted back to this um, American golf country club thing in the middle of the crater and uh, you'd be sitting around and the, and the fog machines had come to get rid of the mosquitoes which had fogged the whole the whole place out, which was crazy. But then at the end of the night, someone would turn up with another van and say, oh, we want you to come out to dinner with us. And what that meant was going out into a paddock with just a, like a lean-to set up and there was all this food set up and we'd be outside singing karaoke in the middle of a paddock with a whole bunch of people eating this really great food, having a great time, can't sing to save my life. But there was all this stuff that happens around the day-to-day work and, and so that brings the richness to the experience, I guess. Yeah, and the memories. Yeah, so yeah, it was crazy. I guess that leads into why stop? Why did you make the change from CEO to self-employment? CEO is a very demanding role. It takes more than 110% of you every day of your life. And uh, if you're extra passionate and extra committed about the cause that you're working for, it'll continue to take more from you and more and more and more. And, and for me, there came a point where I couldn't give enough to it anymore. And I guess... I built a very successful nonprofit. My staff could run it without me and I was doing a lot of the travel instead of them so that they had good family lives and good home lives and they could focus on things. And at the end of the day, that took a toll on me as um, the costs on my personal life over my business life became too great. And it was time to jump ship at that point. It was time to reevaluate what was really important. I mean, I had a, a very successful career. Um, lots of articles published about me, by me, for me, whatever. Uh, lots of appearances, an international speaking circuit every year that went around, you know, 12 different countries every year to do that. In a lot of sense, it's like in CEO terms, it's like the rock star CEO mm. sort of stuff, but I, it's not sustainable uh, at the end of the day. And you've got to ask yourself, how much value do you really add after that amount of time? Like, are you still fresh and are you still doing the right things and are you keeping your people motivated as well as yourself? And have have you kind of I, – I spoke to a CEO actually a couple of episodes ago around this yep. very thing and it was like, you know, have you kind of given as much as you can give and someone else coming into the role might take it to the next level? I think that's what it is. My lesson always is make yourself redundant. 
And when you get into a role, it's make sure your staff are better than you, know more than you and more capable than you because that's the legacy you leave behind. It's not a system you put in place or a new bit of IT or a, or a profit margin that you've set in place because all of that disappears very, very quickly the minute you walk out the door. What you do leave behind is capabilities with people and showing them that they're capable of far more and they're capable of doing it without uh, micromanagement. If you're a CEO that's hung around for 15, 20, 25 years in the same organisation, you've got to be questioning yourself, what am I doing here? If you're really serious about your role and your leadership capacity, and if you still tell yourself in the morning when you get up, no, I have to be here for the following 227 reasons, you're not much of a leader in my book. Mm, mm. It's such a good way to, to kind of put it together and sum it up. And you said that, you know, there came a point that you realised that, you know, what is it costing me to be here and what would it look like if I left? And not your words, my words. <laughs> but, you know. Um, Close like, enough, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, you know, just that questioning around is this still the right place for me? What Did something happen? Was there a trigger there? What Did it happen over time? Because I think particularly post-COVID, there's a lot of people umming and ahhing about whether they're still in the right role and thinking about a career change and having no idea what that could look like. So for you, was it quick or did it happen over a period of time? I think it's the frog in the pot of boiling water analogy. You know, it sort of creeps up on you and before you know it, you're boiling yourself alive in the in the pot. And uh, towards the end of my CEO career, I was getting a lot of coaching. The organisation had paid for me to have a very high-profile, high-level executive coach to, to see how they could get more from my capabilities but what that really started showing me is where's my weaknesses more than anything and what I really started noticing more than anything was my behavioral changes uh, because very very long hours it was it was very common to only have four hours maximum sleep every day for weeks and weeks and weeks on end as you change time zones because you're moving through your your busy schedule I'll give you an example in one day I started off and I flew to Japan for breakfast, I was in Korea for lunch, I was in Beijing for dinner, and then I was on a next on the midnight flight home. I'm tired just listening to that, right? Oh, it was nuts. It was nuts. And and the only person that did it to me was myself. I was the one that was setting setting those those time frames up. And should we go uh, back to the start of this podcast and remove the part that we said say yes to everything? Because now I'm yeah. starting to regret that. <laughs> yes. There is a time and a place, everyone, to say no to stuff. <laughs> I am far more philosophical these days and far more cynical, let me tell you. <laughs> yeah. So you said the behavioural changes. What else yeah. did you notice? To be honest and to be really sort of personal and blunt about it, uh, drinking far more, probably more risk-taking behaviours, less connected with family because you're always away and where you might, as an example, you might call home every day. It might turn into every two days and then every three days and, and so forth. And when you call up, you're not really finding anything to talk about. So you, you And it's all imposed by yourself because, you know, when you're travelling, you're sitting in a plane by yourself. You're sitting in a taxi by yourself. You're, you're going to a hotel by yourself. So you spend a lot of time with yourself. And when you're in the work mode, you're on show. You know, you're putting the best show on for everybody. And when that turns off, you go back to your room and there's not much else at the end of the day. So what do you fill that with? And for me, it was a lot of bad vices. And that became more and more exaggerated over time. And I guess to the point where people started noticing it. And 
Isn't this, it's the old adage, right? Like you don't notice yourself as much as those who notice you around you. Like someone's having a really bad time and you see them get hyper-anxious and hyper-exacerbated and, and aggressive and that, but they don't see it. They just see the cause and what's what's happening for them. But for everyone else around, they say, wow, they're on a crash course. You know, it's not sustainable. And that was me as well. And I think sometimes it's it's even just those little comments. Like I know sometimes when I don't notice that I'm getting highly anxious or I'm over, like I'm probably overworked or I'm burning the wick at both ends, someone will say to me, are you okay today? And I think, yeah, I'm fine. I'm just like, you know, and that's my response. I'm like so fast talking and like, no, no, I'm just thinking about this next thing and rah, rah, rah. And yeah. when I hear those comments, I think, ha, huh, are they noticing something in me that I'm probably not quite aware of right now? And I think that was the trigger for me. At one point I I – picked myself up and I thought, what on hell am I doing here? Like, what's, What have I just done to myself? What am I doing to those around me? And what am I considering about what's happening back at home? So I realised it was not sustainable. In fact, I'd gone past the point of sustainability. It was, it was something else. It was another level at that point because another issue, everyone thinks like, you know, the being a CEO is a holy grail. It's actually a very poison chalice, you know, that's um, everyone expects you to perform 100%, 100% of the time. And so there's no it's, – it's hard to show vulnerability. And if you do, who do you show it to? You can't show it to your board of directors because they think you can't perform. You can't show it to your team members because they think you're losing it and you panic the troops out there. You don't want to show it at home because it's work-related. So at the end of the day, you carry a lot of it and you end up talking to yourself and um, – that's where you lean into problems too much. Like you, you sit there and say, oh, is it really this bad? Actually, it could be a lot worse than that or you tend to write it off. And so you find that you, you, your behaviours change a lot when you're beyond the sustainable point of living. Mm. Uh, you, you're sort of just existing. You're, you're living on adrenaline and you're living on performance because you built yourself to a certain level. We see that with a lot with like, athletes and military personnel and, and high performers where they have to suddenly stop and they crash. What's after that full tilt 100%, 100% of the time? And often it takes a certain type of person to be able to get to that level, to be able to run at that level. Yeah, but it is that crash and burn at time. Not not for everyone, but I think like you say, if you don't notice it in the early days when the behaviours start to change, when the fatigue starts setting, when you realise that perhaps – it's time to move on, then you sometimes you're a little late to the party and it's like, well, I'm here now. So what happened? Like once you realise that, what happened for you then? Definitely a lot of a crisis was was going on inside me at that point, which is, uh, you know, oh, oh, dear, what am I – how do you back yourself out of a role like that in the first place where, you know, you're, the, you're meant to be the pinnacle of the business and uh, you can't just walk out the door. You just can't get up and, and leave at the end of the day. And then if you stay, do you still have the confidence of the board and do you have the confidence of your team? And I guess at the end of the day, I I felt that I was losing confidence of the board uh, because I was losing confidence in myself at that point too. And so uh, a decision had to be made and um, it was just literally pulling the pin. But I, you know what I found myself doing along the way is I was talking to some of my second in charge saying, you know, I expect you to do this when I'm not here. And I kept saying that more and more and more. And I, it was subconscious. And it, someone pulled me up on it the other day, or not the other day, but during that process saying, what does that mean? And I, I realised that I was talking my exit plan out loud and I hadn't realised I was doing it at that point because I'd already committed to it. 
I was going to ask you what story were you playing in your head at that time and, and that sounds like that might have been one of them. It's like, you know, when I leave yeah, and then that started to come out in your language, what else was going on inside your head at that time? It was a bit about what do I do next and obviously having a, a family and having a CEO lifestyle that your, your kids are in expensive schools, your wife has a, has a nice lifestyle and you live in a nice house and all that sort of stuff. The next question is how do you maintain that? How long can you keep that going for? Mm. And is that something that you were thinking about on your own solo or is that something that you discussed with your coach, your partner? Like did it start just with you? It did just start with me. And you know what? I don't think I told anyone the whole story. I think people saw facets of it, but no one person really heard everything. I think, And that's because, you know, you, you build yourself up thinking you've got so much capability and now you're t- saying quite openly to people coming out of your mouth, which is really hard to do, I don't have that capability or that capacity anymore. That's a, that's a lot of admission there that uh, something's gone terribly wrong. So, And I can talk about it now. I've, I'm now a coach. I also do a very, very complex work and that sort of stuff, but I've managed to resolve a lot of that with myself now as well. Because as I'm listening to you, I'm thinking it's only you saying that. You know, like as I'm hearing that, I'm thinking I, I obviously didn't know at that time, but I don't know that I would think that of someone. But isn't it amazing what we tell ourselves in that moment and what we think other people are going to think about us and judge us and what they're going to say to us if we make a decision that's best for us at the time? Absolutely, absolutely. And then my first concern was, well, what's going to happen to my team around me? Because I had a global team. And in the ensuing days and weeks, about 50% of my team left uh, straight after me because they didn't like the people who were replacing me in the role. They didn't like the culture that they were bringing into it. Uh, and then, of course, there's a lot of ego that kicks in, which is, well, what about everything I built up? What's going to happen to that stuff? And who's going to remember me when I'm not in that industry now? And, okay, so I spent, a, you know, out of 11 years, nine years out of Australia working around the world, I'll come back and I want to start a career in Australia. Who's going to know me here? So a lot of ego kicks in at that point and, you know, that creates stress on yourself as well. It's all that baggage that you want to bring along, which is, you know, how do I get into work really quickly and and who's going to hire me and all that sort of stuff. They're all very valid questions and they're questions that most of us would have asked ourselves at some point in time. And if we haven't, we will at some point in time, you know. So often we create a career and we put ourselves in the heart of that and it is often who we are, whether you be an athlete, whether you be a CEO, whether it's being a mom, whatever it is, it's like this is who I am and sometimes that separation and having a look at who you are without that, without that label, without that title, what does that look like and and what does that mean to you? Absolutely. And you don't even have to be an employed professional. You could be, let's say you're a stay-at-home mum and all of a sudden your kids have grown up, they've gone to uni, mm. they don't need you anymore, and now you're sitting in a house eight to ten hours a day by yourself wondering what your purpose is. And so you're going to run into some sort of existential crisis along the way too about, you know, what's is this what my life has led up to? And I guess I ask myself that in the, in the early days uh, almost daily, you know, is this is this what it's all come to? What was your greatest fear during that time? I think my greatest fear was supporting my family. Yeah. At the time. Yeah. Yeah. I just wrote that down. I wanted to ask you about that because I think that's also very 
real logistical and a real problem, right? You, like you said, you had the kids in private school, you had a wife, you had a nice house, you, were, you know, you had a way and a means of living. What happens because you need an income to sustain that? That becomes your, your driving focus and what you teach yourself when you get to the, that high-performing level is having laser vision. You know, I'm going to chase after this objective or this tactic in this period of time and I'm going to achieve it and 90% of the time you do because you're in that role because you can achieve your objectives. All of a sudden you've gone from having laser focus to what we call a shotgun approach which is fire off, chase anything that you hit at the end of the day and it makes you look a little bit desperate mm. and uh, you don't need to be like that but it's a it's a survival instinct that, that kicks in. It's in that Maslow's hierarchy, right? It's right down at some of human the bottom needs. levels. Yeah, yeah, human needs. That's what kicks in. It's that safety and security mm. that kicks in straight away, those first two layers of Maslow's hierarchy. So what did life look like for you once you made the decision? What happened next? It was a few weeks of panicked energy, making phone calls, chasing up leads and contacts for new work do you mean like, yeah 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 yeah, yeah. Yep. yeah. so you'd notified and mm. so you'd put in your resignation and then you were doing that uh i'd actually started before before that but then there was a moment where you know you go and you sit down with the board and it and it cuts off very quickly so thanks very much get out basically yeah uh, yeah there's it's not drawn out it's like you know, thanks go definitely not at that level you know no. it's that yeah yeah, yeah. The, there's too many risks to manage. It sometimes needs to be like that. And other, there, there are other ways. But I mean, we could have a whole yeah. conversation about that. But <laughs> that's how they chose to handle it. And so it was in a very abrupt end to a to a very good career. And uh, at the time, there was um, there was a new member on the C on the board, and they didn't know much about me. And they, oh, thanks very much for your for your seven years service. I've been here for 11 years. In fact, I've been here for 12 years. So they didn't even bother to know anything about me. It was just, thanks very much, uh, get out, hand over everything you got and mm. uh, we'll be in touch. That was about it. Which makes you feel like you're not valuable to an organisation, right? Yeah, very quickly you feel like uh, you're, you've are you become a liability. By sticking around, you've become a liability. So um, it, it really makes you... Doubt everything about yourself. Like, you know, did I do a good job? Was I doing the right thing? Uh, can I do a good job again? Mm. That, that sort of stuff happens. Mm. So how did you wade through those thoughts? I guess what I told myself, and it's, it comes down to a bit of uh, Buddhist philosophy because I believe a lot in Buddhist philosophies and teaching, but nothing's permanent, everything's fleeting, and I kept telling myself it won't look like this this time next year. I guarantee it's not going to look like that. It feels like, you know, garbage now, but I'm pretty certain it's not going to look like this this time next year. And it didn't in some good ways and in some very catastrophic ways as well. Mm. It's that old like the ocean ebbs and flows and so does life, you know. You're never going to stay still. It's not static. Yeah, and I think that that's one of the gifts you can get when you do run a company, I think. That's, that's experience within a company because you have these waves of like, serious issues or concerns or bushfires that come up and you're like, whoa, <laughs> what yeah. are we going to do? And then you see them pass or changes the direction you go in or and you can apply that to life. Absolutely. And so I think what I found is you end up having like 10,000 conversations with people you're trying to get work out of and the same sort of questions keep popping up, which is, well, what are you good at now? We knew what you were good at then. What are you good at now? What are you, what are you going to be good at for us? So it, you find very quickly you start honing your message about yourself 
about what are you good at and I think that's what I learned out of it is is how do I back myself very quickly and get confidence in my capability that I can then on-sell to clients who need exactly the same thing. And so I think that started pulling me out of the, the, the hole that I dug myself into. This is a shout-out to all the teachers, parents and principals that may be listening. We all know I'm a big advocate for improving your mental health, but how can you know when to act? PHM, otherwise known as Project Health Monitoring, provides a versatile, safe and secure digital platform that allows students a means to communicate current and emerging issues in real time. The platform provides educators with data to take targeted and timely action so that their students feel known, valued and cared for. PHM takes away the days of second guessing. With children increasingly connected via technology, the PHM approach allows students to initiate a conversation without having to raise their hands. Students need to feel connected and empowered by being directly engaged socially and emotionally. For a free project health check on your school, please click in the link provided in our show notes. This will enhance your students' well-being, performance, and their academic outcomes. Now, back to the show. So had you decided, because that sounds like that's that self-employment piece, had you decided you were going to go into that? Yeah, I did. I did. I knew I could do one of two things. I was, I was really good at coaching and mentoring people, really good at it. And then I was really good at um, risk management and to a certain extent crisis management. And so one's a consulting field, one's a coaching, mentoring type thing. They're sort of related. Now I've made them interrelated and and, uh, important to each other. But back then I thought, well, which one am I going to put the money on? Am I going to go for a a, a full-time coach, in which case no one knows me and why would they take me on just because I've been a CEO? Or do I fall back into some uh, consulting work where people may know my skills more? So I took the uh, the harder path, which was the coaching path. I was not expecting yeah. you to say that. I was like, <laughs> no, yes, of no. course you went down there. <laughs> of course I took the easy path. Yeah. <laughs> no, I actually took the opposite path, I thought. <laughs> Why? Why? What made you decide that? I've made a career out of reinventing my career, I guess. I've changed tack so many times throughout my career from working in a laboratory to being an auditor to being a – uh, a lecturer and a trainer that being on TV to being a CEO, I've managed to change my career many times. And I guess I did that. In the early days, it was subconscious. I, I didn't know why I was really doing I was drawn to a different challenge. What I figured out much later on is my attributes and my behaviours were taking me to a, to a different style of working. And I, as I tuned in more to what I was really good at, I started to be attracted more to that that field. So, of course, I could do consulting. You know, it was I could do that in my sleep. I could do it standing upside down in a bucket of water, I, and I I can still do that these days. But the challenge was understanding how do I impart all this knowledge and experience of being a CEO and leadership and personal growth and performance, and how do I give that to others now? How do I turn that into something far more meaningful that's going to give them confidence in their abilities to go forward and so that was the challenge that it was you know it's like the question that never gets answered or it's like watching a tv series that you missed the last episode and you always sit there saying damn what happened with that i wonder what happened at that point well i i went and found the answer yeah and 
That takes courage. When we heard you say, because I asked you what was the what was the thing you feared the most? Or what, I can't remember the question, but something around the biggest challenge. And and you said it was around your family and how you were going to support them. So to take that road was definitely the more risky option. Absolutely, it was. Yeah, uh, you know, with a limited financial resource behind you and with no formal at that time no formal credentials for for coaching I had to go and get all of that and then I had to go and find clients that that wanted coaching and then you find very early on that you have to do a lot of coaching for free to get your 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 hours up so that you sort of honed your skills and so you think okay I'm doing all this coaching now and I'm not getting paid for it and that doesn't put food on the table it doesn't get the kids off to an excursion that you got to pay for etc cetera, etc cetera. so it was a big challenge to do so I, I guess for me I, I work quite well under pressure and the pressure to, to support the family drove that outcome which was go find it go find the people unfortunately when you for people like me when you get a little bit successful you get a little bit lazy because the pressure drops off and so that took me to another realisation. I don't need to burn myself out ever again working. It's just never going to happen again. Do I have times now where I get stressed about money? Yeah, but I know what's far more important now and money is not in the equation anymore, ever. It's it's completely removed. There's some real freedom in that, isn't there? We've, we're also in that same boat at the moment where I'm constantly saying to my husband, what are we going to do with that? I know that it makes us more comfortable and it gives, but like at the end of the day, we don't get today back. We don't get today back. We're never going to regret spending a day with the kids. And so, you know, being able to get that laser focus on what's important for you at that point in your life can really help you make the decisions about what's right for you and your family. Absolutely. And, you know, what you find out is if you become too self-obsessed and focus on something, you're going to miss the important stuff, which is the family. And from personal experience, that's the catastrophic outcome that you suddenly realise that you've totally disconnected from it and you've missed everything. And they don't have the connection to you anymore. So, you know, the big learning is find happiness through what you've got, which is your family, your immediate family. Okay, if you lived in a big house and suddenly got no money and you have to go to a much smaller house, it actually doesn't really matter because, you know, you've always got opportunity to go back up again or do something different. But you can't always restart a family. You know, you can't always go back five years to the years you missed as your kid was, you know, you know, becoming great at math or uh, becoming really good at woodwork or, you know, um, it doesn't matter what it, what it was, you know, that the you know your partner's done something great in their achievement and you've missed it all because you've been so focused. And, and that's because models are pushed upon you either in the workplace or socially, whatever that you need to perform at a certain level in order to earn a certain amount of money to live a certain lifestyle. And most of that's, you know, it's fake, it's synthetic. Mm. I always say to my husband, I don't want to be standing at the top of the hill without you, you know, like yeah. I want to go there but I'm not going there at the cost of not having you by my side when I get there. So I'm thinking there's going to be so many people listening to this and being in a very similar position, they may not be a CEO, they may they may be a CEO but they're in that mindset that you spoke about, about realising that they want to make a change, realising that the the job they're in right now isn't where they want to be next year, the year after, in five years, 10 years. But they're still at that stage where they don't know what to do. Like they know that they want to change, but how do you work out what, 
What do you actually do? What are the steps that you can take that might support you in that process? And, you know, we've spoken about some of the hurdles, but I think it'd be really good just to talk about those steps. Absolutely. Uh, so many questions around this this topic. And the very first thing I'd say is you can't eat an elephant in one bite. You're not going to be at your chosen destination career-wise or professional or money or whatever it is tomorrow. And a lot of people make the mistake that they get so anxious about focusing on that, they miss all of the other important steps along the way. The very first thing is just keep moving forward every day. It doesn't matter if you've moved a centimetre or you've moved a metre or you've moved a kilometre or you've moved a 1,000 kilometres towards your goal. Just keep moving forward because what you find is when you look back over the days and the weeks and the months is you've actually made progress. And that's all the motivation you really need to show yourself that you can do it and you can get there. So that's that's one really important thing is just always keep going forward. It doesn't matter how much, just go forward. Backwards never usually the best option for anything unless you've, you've gone down a dead end somewhere and you've gone, oh, geez, what a, I'm in the middle of a volcano in the middle of Mindanao Island. What have I done for myself? Um, <laughs> Yeah, pineapples, pineapples, exactly. <laughs> Maybe I'll never get out and I'll become a pineapple farmer. I don't know. But the the other part too is there's two really important parts of this formula is what are you passionate about? And if you're making a career change, it usually means that you don't have that passion or your, that engagement in what you're doing. So you need to go find what you're passionate about. And if that means it's a total career change and you need retraining, reskilling, what have you, that's okay. It's, there's nothing wrong with having to do that. But chase your passion, number one, because in the darkest of days where you can't see what the next step forward is, your passion is going to take you on that path. It's going to say, I'm doing, I know why I'm doing this. And that's the, if you can keep answering that question to yourself every time you get stuck, I know why I've done this, that's going to keep you moving forward. That's really, really important for people listening is have passion about what you're doing. The other really important part of this equation is know what you're good at. And it mightn't be what you've been doing in your job. And here's a little secret. When you get to the level of CEO and that and you're looking to employ people, rarely, 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 rarely are you employing people for skill sets. What you're employing for is attitude and behaviour. Because if you've got the right attitude and behaviour to a work, to a practice, to the culture, to what we're doing, I could teach you anything, absolutely anything, and you'll do it and you'll succeed. So be really clear about what you're good at. You know what I found out what I was really good at is solving very complex problems, be it through coaching an individual or doing my crisis management work where I've called in to solve a multi-billion dollar problem in the back of China because something's gone wrong. So I'm really good at solving problems. I'm really good at making decisions. And I'm really, really good at communicating next steps to, to get to the outcome and then engaging people. And that has carried me forward in my new careers along the way. So I'm going to ask some questions about both of those things. Let's do the second one first because you just finished with that. How did you work that out? How did you work out that they're the things you're really good at? Because I ask people around me, what, what do you see? And... You know, sometimes it comes back not 
expected. It could be, well, you know, you're an ex-wielding maniac. Get away from me type <laughs> stuff. Mine was a goat. <laughs> when I asked well, him, there you, you go. a goat. I was like, what? <laughs> wow. There we go. As in greatest of all time? Or no. I <laughs> oh, dear. thrive in shit conditions, can get, you know, buck when get cake. I was like, what? And so many people, it was in a podcast a couple of weeks ago, but um, that, but that's a great example where I was like, what? Yeah. What? Why? <laughs> but yeah, so you're saying ask people around you because they're going to see things in you that you may not see yourself or that you display regularly. Yeah, absolutely. Like I said, when you're so caught up in the cause or in the the issue and that, you fail to stop and see the broader perspective. You're usually just looking at your feet and making sure you're taking the safe next step. What you learn when you get to much higher levels of executive is learning to lift your, your gaze toward the horizon and know that Trust your feet to take you forward because you need to move to that horizon. So the same thing when you're trying to figure out who you are is don't be so inwardly focused and granular about, well, okay, I I turned up to work punctually, you know, nine times out of ten. No one gives a damn about that stuff. People want to know, did they show commitment to the cause? Did they engage others in problem solving? Did they know how to find resources? Did they put their hand up and say, I've either done it wrong or I don't know how to do it, that's the sort of stuff we're looking for. And so that that sense of self and, and knowing where your locus is, uh, looking a little bit beyond the end of your, the tip of your nose and looking around what other people see, really helps you figure out what you're good at. The other part is when you do something, how are you feeling when you're doing it? Now, this sounds quite inane what I'm saying here, but there's times when you feel super confident about something. So, so Ali, if I told you go outside and uh, and you know sweep the sweep the path down, you go. Oh, I don't really want to do it, but I'll do it. You're not thinking twice about doing it. It's the same thing about your own skill sets. You don't have to think twice about what you're really good at. You you can just feel it, and that's what you're good at, and that's what people will turn to you for. So you might notice, oh, someone's always asking me for advice. Like, this last month, I've had five different people call me out of the blue, friends, family, friends of friends, saying, I just need your advice on something. And I didn't ask them to call me, but they've called me up because they can see something about me. Or whatever's just come into your head right now as you're listening to Peter talk. Because most people yeah. have had a flash come across their mind and then maybe pushed it to the side and tried to think of something else. But what was that first thing that popped into your mind when you were saying that just then? Absolutely it is. And that's, that's the thing that... You know, when you look at the iceberg, that's the the spoken or the, the known sort of content. Sometimes you've got to dig a little bit deeper below the surface, yeah, to the unknown and figure out what am I – like I said, it, it, I knew I was comfortable making decisions and solving. I was comfortable. I didn't know it was a skill set that I could get paid, you know, sometimes uh, well, without boasting $2,500 an hour to, to solve problems. But people pay for that because people aren't at the same level of – problem solving as me and it's that old you know you would know the light bulb where that guy came out to fix the light bulb and then charged ten thousand dollars and the person's like why are you charging me ten thousand dollars you're only here for a minute he's like because i knew i don't think it's light bulb i think it was a screw but like you know i knew what screw to put in and that's what they're paying for is that wealth of experience the ability to be a genius in that zone and to be able to be confident and capable to make the decision and give direction and provide the next steps Absolutely, yeah. So tr- you've got to trust yourself that 
what you feel comfortable doing and what you're passionate about is the right path for you. So going to passion then, because one of the most common questions people ask me is, but how do you find your passion? I don't know what I'm passionate about. I think there's there's plenty of people in this world that can just put their hands straight up and say, I am passionate about X or I know exactly why I'm doing what I'm doing and I'm just choosing different vehicles on how I do that. What about someone that's sitting there just thinking, I just don't know? And you know what? It's okay not to know at the moment. Some people find it in a minute. Some people never find it. Some people find it toward the end of their career and go on to be an elder in that space. You'll know it when you know it at the end of the day. Uh, I guess if you're doing a career change, what you're looking for, I guess, the first thing is something that interests you. And the next thing you want to do is, can I buy into the story and the culture that this next employer is telling me about them and again it's that feeling it'll either feel right with you or it doesn't it's like as Simon Sinek always says you start with the why statement if the why statement about why am I talking to you in the first place if that rings true then you're on the right path if it's you've got to keep asking yeah but why but why it's probably not for you you've gone down the wrong path here so your passion's a difficult one but I guess some people mistake passion for interest or for satisfaction you know like you can be highly satisfied getting paid a lot of money but still don't like your job that's not passion what you're looking for as as i was mentioned before is what's going to keep you going in that path moving forward millimeter meter or kilometer what's going to keep you moving forward when things are really hard when your back's to the wall what's going to get you out of bed and do it so Ali, what's keeping you going, doing what you're doing right now? You know, it's, that's the mm. sort of question you'd be asking yourself. And you, you're probably doing it because you love communicating things to, to people. Mm. And I think too, there's a time and a place when you're in your younger years and you've got a young family, sometimes it is about bringing in the money so you can set yourselves up. But, you know, as we've spoken about, you can sometimes miss that mark between once you are set up and you're still striving as opposed to being like, oh, we're here now. Let's take a breath and recalibrate and just think, are, are we here? So. You can absolutely work for income if that's something that you really enjoy and that's something that lights you up, but it may not be sustainable over a really long period of time. And so that's where you might find as you get older that you're looking for a career change because no longer is that paycheck what lights you up. Absolutely. Uh, you, You find that some activities become quite soulless to you and you become quite Housian and philosophical about what you're doing at the end of the day and saying, oh, you know, when I was younger, I was, you know, on fire and a thousand miles an hour doing this stuff and and now I'm, I'm the the old horse, you know, out the, out the paddock. What am I good for now? Just pulling carts basically. But there's something rewarding about being really good at doing really simple things too. Like a, a career doesn't have to be super complex and highly charged and that some, I mean, Japanese artisans are the the gold standard in this stuff. They work their entire career to go from just being an apprentice to a craftsman to, you know, an expert and to reach the artisan and a master level by doing the same thing so many times over that they can tell when, just by feel or by sense when things are going well or when, when it's not and they get that enormous amount of satisfaction out of what they're doing. That's what's going to motivate you and go forward, no matter how tough it gets. Mm. So a parting thought around all of this, okay, that sounds like, oh, you know, bake a cake in three easy steps with one ingredient type stuff. That's not really what I'm professing here. A lot of it takes practice and takes 
regimen and rigor and you've got to get up every day and try the same steps over and over. But the important thing is you're going to be faced with failure no matter what. Failure is not a bad thing in your life. It's, it's actually a really good learning cycle for you about how do I do it differently tomorrow. So the answer really is don't give up. Keep yourself moving forward, again, inch-wise, moving forward because there's heaps of rejection out there. People are so self-absorbed these days that unless you're peaking their immediate interest for 2.9 seconds, which is the average attention span of people these days, that you're not going to you know, make the, the right connections that you want going forward. So there will be people out there that connect with you quite readily and they're the people that will help you move you along in your career. But don't be don't be put off by rejection and, and failure. It's it's just part of the building process. Remember it's not going to look like this this time next year. It definitely doesn't. Everything changes, everything's fleeting. Everything will move on from there, with or without you. Mm. Such good wisdom around like we both had the discussion at the beginning of this podcast you know what are we going to talk about and we sort of said let's just see where it goes so it has been such a beautiful conversation around being okay with the unknown and you know in a way it's almost like those tiny little steps of the street lights in a dark street like you just notice one street line just go to the next and then the next but it's not this big stadium that's lit up that you know exactly what it is it's like let's just inch our way forwards so there's a lot of wisdom in what you're saying Peter how are you using that now yeah it's uh, I I Try and use it as best I possibly can to help people who are looking to make career change or to, to make pattern change or, or structural change in their, in their lives. And I do that through my coaching programs. So what I generally find is that I'm helping people find what's good about themselves that gives them the confidence to go from the, the inch-wise progress to the, to the metre long, to the kilometre long. And, and I do that through a, a quite a dynamic and sometimes quite challenging coaching program. Uh, we normally do it, I normally run sessions over six months. Most of my clients sign up for a six-month coaching program. Invariably, they stick around for 12 months or, or longer because we're really just starting to scratch the surface about what's great about them in the first few sessions and then, and then we're starting to build plans about how do we take them forward. And then eventually what we do is we come back full circle and we start recognising what they've found out about themselves celebrate the success, and then set a new set of challenges along the way. So who would be your clients? Hmm. Uh, I find it could be CEOs trying to exit their role. It could be people trying to get to board level or chair level. I've, I do a lot of women in business who are hitting up against that glass ceiling and are looking for ways to, to break that and go forward. I've even done mentoring and coaching at high schools for high school students, uh, showing them what's good about themselves as well. So it's it's broad and varied, but I guess it's for anyone who's trying to do something differently to make a, a fundamental change in their life going forward. I know there's a few, particularly dads at the moment I've been having conversations with that want to make the change and they're not in a CEO position. They're not even, some of them aren't in a leadership position. Would they be able to reach out to you? Absolutely, they can, yeah. And what we'll sit down and say, what what is it you're trying to achieve and what is it you like about the CEO role or the executive role? What What is it you think is there that's drawing you towards it? And I've, I've coached a lot of people who think that's the ideal goal and they realise sometimes how far away they are from that goal and so we, we build them towards the steps of, 
of meeting that, but or it also could be that s- that role is very different in real life to what we see on the. I think oh, like people look at CEOs yeah. and think it's a fabulous gig, and we've spoken about it, touched on it today. We haven't gone deep into that. You and I have both been in a CEO position, and you know it is. It's it's a tough gig and it's a lonely place can be a lonely place at the top so you know i think there's a lot to be said for for pulling back the curtains and actually having a look at what that that looks like yeah absolutely so where do they find you uh, they can come to holtzman.com.au h-o-l-t-m-a-n-n.com.au or they could look me up at peterholtman.com Okay, great. And we'll pop all that in the show notes as well. Hey, I love to finish every podcast with asking who or what in your world truly makes your belly laugh. Oh, well, I tell you, it's uh, Leslie Nielsen recently departed, unfortunately, but an amazing comedic actor in roles like Flying High and Police Squad. And that. It's that stupid, stupid slapstick humour that just sort of jumps out at you like, you know, uh, we need to take people to a hospital. Uh, uh, what is it? Oh, it's a, it's a place where sick people go, but that's not important right now. <laughs> stuff, you know, stupid stuff like that. I just, I just like it. It's funny stuff, but um, it just, it just really makes me laugh every time I hear it. Oh, I can imagine some of your dad jokes from that stuff. Oh dear, yeah, they're terrible. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thank you so much. What valuable information you have shared with us today. And on such a personal note, like it would have been very easy for you and I both to slip into our coaching stream, into the CEO space and, you know, really get into that chat and that lingo. But I just I just want to honour that you came on today and you really spoke about your experience and what challenges you you faced in that moment and I really appreciate that. Yeah, thank you. It was uh, it was very easy to do it. It's a great environment to do it in. And, and what's more important is I hope that people listening take some courage from it and uh, take some motivation that uh, okay, this is where you are now, but you'll be able to move forward if you if you have some belief in yourself and you listen to the advice of those around you. And it's okay sometimes not to be okay, but you'll push through it. Yeah, and it's okay sometimes to not know as well. That's okay absolutely too. Mm. yeah. Thank you. My pleasure. Thanks very much. What a legend. There was something so peaceful and calming about talking to Peter. Yet as we were going through his story, I kept imagining that life he was living, how busy and demanding and high-pressured it must have been. I've been having so many conversations with friends lately about this very topic. What am I going to do if I leave my current role? What am I good at? How can I transfer those skills? What area can I go into? I loved how Peter summed it up at the end with some steps that you can start with today if you are in that situation right now. It might not mean that you answer them today, but you can definitely start. Have a great week, guys, and I will see you all on Monday. Thank you everyone for listening and taking the time out of your day. I believe we can learn so much from connecting with other people's experiences and stories. I hope you've gained some strategies and insight from today's episode. You can gain more by joining our Facebook group, Challenges That Change Us, or next week we will return with another episode.